0: Oh, great for Jeremy.
1: Right over here. Thank you. All right. So today on the Lulz Cafe, we are joined by our friend Savannah. Savannah did uh, a fantastic job. Actually, when we first started this podcast, uh, they created a logo for the podcast, and I was a little like, eh, I don't know if this is where I'm feeling it. It's not really going the way I think. Uh, It was kind of cool, but, you know, I was like, I need something a little bit more in line with what we're thinking. So as soon as I realized, like, we need to redo this, I thought of my friend Savannah. And Savannah is a communications student here at Moody and had been in visual design with me. But uh, I asked her to take a shot at it, and she did a killer job. So the logo you're seeing on um, the art for this podcast is actually something Savannah created. And I just wanted her to come in today, talk about that, and talk about working with technology and visual design. So Welcome.
0: Thank you. It's good to you.
1: Thanks for hanging out. So talk about this experience because you had to work with me, which is probably not the easiest thing in the world <laughs> to figure out like, what exactly does this guy want uh, in making this logo? Because it was, you know, it's a jac-a-lul. I mean, like we're trying to get this right, but it also kind of has to feel. So where, when you started drafting and thinking about this logo, how did it come to you and, and what were you thinking in that direction?
2: Yeah. So I started uh i think almost immediately after you kind of invited me to work on the project i on my way home made a bunch of different drafts (laughs) of just like what i was thinking based off my notes from our conversation Mm -hmm. so that was the first step um to just like get on paper or actually not on paper paper. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like just to get some ideas of what came to mind for me when we were discussing Uh, what we wanted to create Mm -hmm. Uh, but then after that initial just sort of brainstorming step uh, I went back and did some research Mm. so I didn't know that much about Alul so I had to go and (laughs) look him up and (laughs) see what he looked like Mm -hmm. and sort of Mm -hmm. what he was known for Uh, and then I also listened to the first episode which by that point had already been released Mm -hmm. and hearing sort of the way the conversation worked and sort of the, the subjects mm. that you guys were touching on changed sort of my concepts or at least narrowed them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that point, I was able to take my initial set of sketches and turn them into some more concrete drafts. Um, I thought a lot about themes mm. and locations, uh, sort of like the place in which we wanted to frame the podcast yeah for sure um and so i think that was like one of the really key elements that uh, that i was thinking about as i was developing the logo and so.
1: Mm. and so and we actually went through a bunch of different colors and a bunch of different so iterations. Many. And you were <laughs> extremely patient with me because you were sending it like oh man um he's going to tell me to do something else and he's going but you had some really killer ideas and i, I Uh, as we started playing with even like the idea of using um, like the fluorescent light almost sign type feel and uh, even playing with a lull it was it was interesting to see kind of even playing with the notion of like he's you know the patron saint of something Uh, slightly tongue-in-cheek I'm not not saying he's been officially sainted by anyone but me it's okay I, I think he's he's uh He's one of those voices that continues to speak to me and encourage my faith, but also challenge me in the way that I do what I do in terms of being a communications professor and even thinking about how I engage with technology. Uh, but I'm fascinated. I, I would be fascinated. So I'll ask him when we get there. What the little things of what this logo looks like? Like, would he be like, yeah, I don't know. You probably could have picked me with more hair. Or, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, dude, we got pictures of you. That's what you look like. So... Um, But as we started working through that and and thinking through those kind of signs, we were trying to make this as much about a conversation and a place as it was about a a person that was, hey, this is a place that he would hopefully enjoy. Like, it wasn't just, this isn't about Alul, this is about thinking through, is there, if Alul showed up at a place, what kind of cafe would he be in? And it felt very, almost like, late night, everybody get together, and you got these really cool kind of fluorescent lights in there, and... Even thinking through some of the color components and choices that we made, thinking through how light works and what light's supposed to do in terms of the way the conversation should be headed. So, uh, anything else that was that stuck out to you in that process? You started building it. That was even thought processes that you were thinking about behind that.
2: Yeah, um, I think just a note you mentioned. You know, kind of coined this term of him being like the patron saint, um, and I thought about that a lot actually, because in at least the Christian traditions that I was raised in, Mm -hmm. um, we have like really tended towards um, disembodiment Mm -hmm. first uh, from place, Mm -hmm. second, uh, separation from media and culture, Mm -hmm. or at least uh, pitting ourselves as opposed to. Mm. Um, So there's this sort of like we can engage with it, but only if we convert it to our side, which I think is an interesting dynamic, Mm. whether or not it. Maybe be correct um, and then also just the really obvious sort of schism that's happened between like uh, the idea of saints mm-hmm. as we see them in the like, Catholic Church or even the Eastern Orthodox Church mm-hmm. Protestant traditions are are sort of put off by that and there's a lot of uh, religious and cultural baggage there that we've been unwilling mm-hmm. to accept and so um, I thought a lot as I was creating this cover like there's so much healing to be done. First of all, like recognizing and like bringing this, these abstract conversations and putting them back into like places that affect us and that are real for us. Mm. Um, so that was the first. Okay. And then second, um, being connected with saints whether or not they are technically yeah. patron saints yeah. um, that have like gone before us and that continue to encourage us, which we might overlook mm-hmm. um, specifically in our tradition. Uh, and then also sort of re-engaging with media and culture mm-hmm. in ways that um, are beautiful and, and redeeming. Mm. And so, yeah, thinking about that in sort of the iconography of mm-hmm. him as a saint, the mm sort of fluorescent light look Mm -hmm. um, and then like giving the cover enough space to like sort of hold the abstract view of this place as a cafe. Mm Those were all things that I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, and and so as you're talking about putting it back into place why is that, why do you think we struggle with that so much or why is that so important to you to put back into design in terms of place and time? Because that's the other part of this is time. Like he's not a, a person of our time. And I would probably argue a little bit that we and I I'm, I'm agreeing with you in the sense that we aren't comfortable with the na- the nation of saints and uh, hey this' is this saint hood somehow like okay this is well, it sounds like an interesting album um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Savannah and I both appreciate hip-hop music so I, I think there's it's probably out there somewhere um, but then the idea of we may not call them saints but we still refer to or look up to and are informed by things like, like we like the reformers, so we'll talk about Calvin and we'll talk about Luther, and we'll talk. So we've turned those people into saints, even though we won't use the language. But we then tend to try to take what they said, bring it to now, um, and in that sense, disembody them. Like, okay, you're not from this particular place, this particular time, with this particular context, um, which is fascinating to me because that's ultimately what uh, one of the things the law was trying to wrestle with. The was trying to wrestle with how do I maintain a faithfulness to my Christian uh, Christian faith as a uh, a set of beliefs, practices, and ways of engaging with Jesus. How do I do that faithfully in this moment while not completely pulling myself out of the culture that I'm in? Because I have to live in this culture and be faithful in this time, not what does faithfulness look like for Calvin back then. What does faithfulness look like right now? I can't abandon my time to get there. I actually have to live in this time and figure out, okay, the tension that I have to wrestle with is, what does that look like in this moment? And Alul was not willing to let people just retreat and say, well, but that's what they did, that's what Calvin did, or that's what Augustine did, or that's what the, you can't keep going back and saying, do it that way, it's like, well, but I don't live then. How do I live now? And Alul kept pushing to the front, like, you live in a technological society, you live in these spaces, you are not, you know, this isn't your world, but you're supposed to live faithfully as people who follow Jesus in this space. How does that look and how does that go? So for you, as you wrestle with that uh, and think through, you're trying to, in some ways, put it back into context, put it back into a space and back into a person. How do you kind of navigate that as you're, as you're building out design stuff? Because there's a lot of abstraction in design. And you're trying to make it concrete so people can see it. Oh,
2: yeah. That's such a good question. I have about a whole book's worth of (laughs) ideas on um, art and embodiment in my head right now. I Mm -hmm. just finished reading Placemaking and the Arts by Jennifer Allen Craft. Okay. uh, And she actually talks a lot about this, not in a direct sense with, say, saints, but Mm -hmm. just in the ideas of um, sort of practicing. She uses the term practicing resurrection. Cool. uh, Through... uh, Place making, hmm. which she sees as sort of reconnecting to your context, hmm. uh, and not just abstracting all of your ideas to, well, this is you know what happened then, so we can directly transpose it over our current moment, our current time, and that will work as the default. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she sees art as a really, really tangible way of uh, making connections. To your actual place your actual personhood and home um, and and ways of worship Hmm. and so I think that art because it is so tangible uh, and because it can be so specific uh, reminds us that we are actually confined to a place and a time so I think like if I go to the art institute um, there's like a four panel uh, I think it's an altarpiece of four different saints, I know uh, St. John the Baptist is there, mm. I think St. Catherine or St. Margaret, okay. uh, and then Augustine, mm-hmm. but they're all clothed in, in garments of their time, mm-hmm. uh, they look like they're from their time, and it reminds you, because they are being recognized consciously as saints, mm-hmm. um, and not just subconsciously as we tend to do uh, in more want to say like platonic senses sure yeah uh, with like Calvin and Luther um, because they're being recognized directly as saints and because they're being depicted in art we see them in their context and we recognize uh, not only did they were they living out their faith in a particular place and time mm-hmm. Um, but that makes them an actual person, not just uh, writers that had a set of ideas that have been passed on to us to transpose over our place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important and so encouraging. Um, as I like, remember looking at it, I was just thinking, oh, like Christians were really, really living with their faith and their society mm-hmm. so long ago. Uh, in ways that were very very real to them Mm -hmm. and they pass on that legacy uh and we see that in this art and so i think in as i was creating this logo yes but also just like in art in general i think it's really important to consider okay what does it look like for me to be faithful now Mm -hmm. um and not just to to pick up a set of ideas from someone else and then to just overlay it on mm. top of my my context and to ignore my context in favor of that set of ideas because um, I don't think that's a very I don't know what the word would be I don't think that's a very maybe organic mm. way of, of cultivating your faith
1: well and I would use the word faithful like because in essence we're talking about the integrity of the moment Yes. not just about so it's it's in that sense, and, and probably a little more philosophically, I mean, natural, uh, although that has a whole lot of loaded things to go with it. So um, so along those lines, then, uh, because we have to be faithful to this moment and live in this time and figure out how we're going to work in this space. Uh, you're creating art, but you're creating art in a society that is highly technological. How does that play out for you in terms of I need to make art? Uh, that is contextual, about place, about personhood but in a context that tends to disembody because of technology, that tends to um, favor speed over, you know, I don't have time for the paint to dry, I just make it online and we'll just do it quick. How, how, How do you wrestle with that, with art in an age of technology in which everything is about efficiency and speed and how you because it's not going to resolve itself. It's not going to be a, I've got an answer and the answer is firm and I don't ever have to change it. It's this ongoing walk of navigating that and living in the tension of, yeah, but I can't just completely embrace the technology because ultimately then I lose something in the process. There's always a trade-off.
2: That's such a good question and it's one that I struggle with a lot. Yeah. Um, something that I've been thinking about. Especially, I think it probably began over the pandemic. I was uh, consuming a lot of art, but all of it was through digital means. Mm-hmm. So whether it was like on my like art Instagram or um, like watching artists like vlog about their little studios mm-hmm. on YouTube, mm-hmm. everything that I was receiving and m- like much of what was being created was digital. Mm. And I remember thinking, like, wow, like this would be so doable for me. Um, like I, I can see myself accomplishing this and running a business this way. And then something gave me pause. And I don't remember exactly what it was that like brought up this sort of concern in my mind. But as I started to consider the ways that art have been most powerful for me to experience, mm-hmm. it's almost never been in digital means. Hmm. Um, and so I like still find myself honestly at this crossroads of what does it mean to genuinely um, be an artist and not simply to create content? Uh, because creating mm. content I think is not easy, but um, is perhaps simpler in that it blends well with sort of the, the era mm. um, in that like, producing content is like, you can make money from it, you can gain a following from it, both of those things uh, feed into the current society's idea of both um, success Mm -hmm. and efficiency and being a hard worker Um, and those are not bad things Mm -hmm. by any means but I don't know if those things entirely overlap with Um, what I see as the calling of an artist, which is to be prophetic, in a sense, Hmm. um, to their place and their people and their time in really uh, tangible ways that Mm -hmm. make us think outside of maybe the track that we've worn for ourselves. Um, So yeah, I would be curious almost to ask you in return, (laughs) like, how do you think, like, do you think you can truly be an artist and not simply a content creator um, in purely digital ways? So,
1: and, and so, for me, the artist and the art, uh, artistic experience is ultimately about that. It's about the experience that the artist has had that then leads to an expression because they see the world. And hopefully they see the world from angles that the rest of us don't see. But ultimately they see the world and then they show it to us. Uh, and that's what makes art worthy of pause is, do I see what they're trying to show me in this moment? Am I seeing something different? It's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. It's the, and so it it reveals all of the sacred and the beautiful and the ugly and the the broken and the all of it. And in that sense, it is, in your way of describing it, prophetic in the sense that it is truth-telling. It is, let me show you what I see based on what I know is true and good and, and helpful and beautiful, but also um, evil and broken and hurtful and damaging. I think that the the challenge in terms of technology is that when I'm trying to get people to see something, Oftentimes, because of the glut of information that's pushed forward in a digital space, I don't often uh, see and experience people taking their time. Uh, I mean, TikTok is pushing stuff past you at, you know, 10, 15 seconds a pop. Bang, 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 get it by you quick. Art would require some level of pause, of meditation, of slowing down. So the answer that most people will say is, but you could do that. And my response is, you could, but that's not the natural way that technology wants to lead you. It's Because it wasn't designed that way. It wasn't designed for slow. It wasn't designed for meditation. It wasn't designed for take your time and see. The fundamental value, like we've talked about in the past on the show, is that it's about efficiency and speed, which is counterintuitive if I'm trying to create something artistic. Now, where does the capacity lie. Uh, What I would tell you is I think there's a couple of things that technology allows me to do that are crucial and helpful. uh, And kind of a little bit of what you just said, actually, I would argue is probably the most helpful parts of technology. So you said at the beginning of this that after our conversation, you had all these ideas that are trying to come out of your head. And and, and the key there is when you're sketching is to get them out fast. They don't have to make sense. They don't have to be done, but they got to get out and you got to be able to find them again. Technology allows people to do that. You can pop an iPad open and literally grab a pencil and just, and it's all there. It's all drawn down, it's all sketched. It's not finished, but it's all there. Okay, cool. Technology helped me get it out fast. The other thing that technology allows me to do is to explore um, possibilities. So, even in your uh, moving from, like we talked about in visual design, moving from sketching into drafting it allows me to explore possibilities that may have been too expensive for people in the past to explore before I do something. So if you're looking at, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating, even reading dear Theo by uh, the letters from Gogh, is him wrestling with, I want to make this thing, but I can't get the color right. Or I want to make this thing, but it's too expensive to buy the, the canvas sizes that I need 14 times. Like I can't, I can't do a bunch of them in a row because it's just too much. Technology allows me to reduce the cost to try some things out and get them a little more narrow without a whole lot of cost before I then go and say, okay, I'm going to take a big shot on two. I'll buy two canvases and I'll buy the paint to do it. But I just saved myself 14 smaller canvases and smaller things and I can't afford to do that. Okay, I get it. It allows me to do some of those things. But when it comes to the final parts, The other thing that I that I get concerned about, especially as you're talking about it, is that the moment I digitize it, I also decontextualize it because it can be posted to the Internet. Now it can be viewed in a different context. Now, that's interesting because it's kind of like, yes, but don't we view all of art out of context? I mean, if you go and see Van Gogh at the Art Institute, you're not living in, you know, the 18th century France or 1800s in France. Like, no, I'm not. So the question is, does it have to be inside its context to make sense? My response would be no, but as a cultural artifact, I would have to, in order to do uh, you know, what Cameron Zelt and I spent a bunch of time talking and learning about was cultural hermeneutics, then I would have to actually understand the context that it came from, which we don't often take the time to get to. What was he trying to do? What was he thinking? <clears throat> when did he live and what were those things like? So then based on those things, what would this thing mean differently than me just going and going, oh, that's an interesting color? It's not the same thing, and it's not where he was going. So intending what he saw and the heart behind what he was trying to communicate would require me to do a bit more digging and understanding than is probably uh, something I could say, oh, yeah, I could do that. Now, the Internet does provide for a tremendous amount of information that can help me. Like you said, I went and found a lull, and it gave me some background and helped me do some research. So I think it's the notion of where can it help me and where is it hindering me And the moment for an artist where it hinders me is the moment it should be set aside. And that's the part where the temptation is, right, but I could just finish it. But it's not going to be what you want. And you're not going to get people in the world to see it the way you want. Now, I do think there's digital art. And I do think the digital art is actually inside a digital space in a digital context, in which means it has different meaning. But I think if you really want people to slow down, you're probably going to have to pull it out of that space. Because to really see something, uh, to really see a person, to really see an image, to really see any kind of artistic expression is going to require my attention. And my technology is not good at keeping my attention. Not at least for long enough periods to actually meditate and think through what it means. Does that make sense?
2: It does. I have an image that's coming to mind as you're you're talking about that last bit. Tell me about it. It almost, so I, I grew up in a valley that's just surrounded by mountains yep. you can drive to the trailhead uh, it gets you there quickly it's pretty efficient you can transport like large amounts of people yep. uh, pretty fast but if you want to actually like get to the mountaintop you probably have like a couple of options you can take the tram or you can hike yep maybe ride if, if you can ride <laughs> <laughs> and have those resources and so while there are opportunities to get to the same place a quicker way the experience is fundamentally different and so recognizing Mm -hmm. i don't know it almost sounds like creation is this kind of of journey where you need to recognize when you need to be in the car getting quickly to um to the place that you're looking forward to exploring Mm -hmm. and then when you get out of the car and you go explore um that's sort of like what i'm what i'm picturing as you're describing when to make the decision to um to enter a slower method of mm-hmm. both creating but also um, creating spaces for people to view mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: well and <clears throat> the the desire to hurry is is still grounded to a large degree in our sense of a limited amount of time. And yet the desire for creation is grounded out, of is, is coming out of the garden, out of the image of God, out of the way he made us, which wasn't built with that. It wasn't built to think about time as though I need to hurry because it had all of time to play with. So this is, brokenness that we experience makes us think of time and I've got to hurry up and get through this and get through that like well I I got to finish getting through this museum and it's like that's not the point of the museum at all but you're like but the day's going to end and then I but if time wasn't thought of like that which is what I think art ultimately forces us in many ways to do is to acknowledge our humanity and it's best when we're slowed down it's best when we get to the trip fine you want to get there fast great but you're going to miss everything if you just keep, Hey, I'm just going to hop on a four wheeler and we'll keep going. Like yeah, you missed the whole point. The whole point was what's right in front of you. And that only makes sense when I'm actually slowing down enough to start engaging. What do I see? What does this mean? What, what's going on in this space? Um, I went to, uh, I had the opportunity to take some students to Costa Rica and I spent a night in the rainforest. Um, so, I, 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 we went and we're working on a multiplication center, basically. Uh, uh, we wanted people in Costa Rica to uh, learn how to share the gospel themselves. So, it wasn't like, let's send a bunch of missionaries. It was like, we're going to go build a space for people to come and learn how to share the gospel with their neighbors in Costa Rica. And we're not trying to... But when we were done, I was like, okay, I want them you know, I'm not going to get back to Costa Rica. Let's see what this place is like. I'm like, so can you show me all of Costa Rica in three days? And they're like, well, I don't know if that's... It. But they're <laughs> like, cool... So uh, they took one day to a volcano, one day to the rainforest, and one day to the beach, and it was phenomenal. Um, but we went to the rainforest, and I'm not a big fan. I gotta, I gotta say, because I was sweating in my sleep. <laughs> it's uh, a it was not, not like air conditioned. I was literally, and I mean, it was in a cabin. It was closed. It was safe, but it was still like there's a lot of noises, and it's warm and damp. And when you wake up in the morning and you're pretty much drenched in sweat, it's not exactly the way you want to wake up from a long night's sleep. So it's a little weird for me. Uh, And then I sweated the whole day. But what was fascinating to me was you're in the woods and you're walking by and you're like, oh, there's so much color and so much interesting stuff. And you could just go, Let's go on a hike. The hike wasn't interesting because we went through the woods and got through it. The hike was interesting because, dude, that's a poison dart frog. And so we got to stop and we got to look at it. That is a setup. That's that's a whole colony of army ants moving that thing together. And you're like, this is okay. Everybody back up because we don't want to get near them because I don't want to deal with them. But they're carrying these massive pieces of wood and all this other stuff. And you're like, right? I could have just walked by all this stuff because it's just trees and ground and leaves and that's it. Bye. But all the stuff that was interesting to look at required me to slow down, and I could take pictures with it, but the thing that I've always come to the realization of is I have never taken a picture that made me see and feel the sense of, did you see that? That was amazing. And I've seen tons of great photographers, but every single one of them will admit this is falling short of that moment. The moment itself was better than the picture I took. How do we actually stop and see all these little things and details, all the things that we're going to miss, all the things that were intended, we're only going to do that if we actually slow down and acknowledge hey you know what I have a limited amount of time but there are reasons he put the things in front of me to see and if I miss them because I'm going too fast which is something again my technology is going to encourage will at the end of my life I wish i had gone and done more stuff and accumulated a higher quantity of things which my technology will let me do I've seen 4 million TikToks cool Did any of them matter? Did any of them stand out? Did any of them connect with you? Did any of them do anything to your soul? Or did the long progression of 4 million TikToks just wear you down and make you want to quit? At some point, I got to ask the question, what if we spent way more time on quality? Which is what art makes us do. Makes us see life. So, um, as you're wrestling with this... And as you're engaging with technologies, what other questions are you running up against in terms of your technological engagement that are making you go, hey, uh, this is probably not the greatest thing for me. Or maybe it is. Maybe there's things you're like, this is super helpful for
2: me. That's really interesting. I think I would agree, especially as a student, um, that, that technology to some degree can be so helpful both for the... Yeah, the quickness of your life is just (laughs) incredible. Um, And your resources may not be available. So I can't bring my set of gouache paints and paintbrushes and canvas (laughs) to school every day. I can't just, you know... Sit down in class and pop open all my supplies and start painting. Why not? I <laughs> Go for it.
1: I'm sure your professors will be fine.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's really the slanty little desks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but everything just slides off. It really does. Even your, even your textbooks. Right. But I can like use my iPad to at least capture ideas that I mm-hmm. connect with mm-hmm. um, and draft them for later. And sometimes I feel good about the the state that they're in. And other times, I know that like I'm, I'm storing up almost a bank of ideas. Absolutely. To, uh, explore at a later time and in a better way, both when I'm more skilled and also uh, when I do have supplies available mm-hmm. and time mm-hmm. available um, to see and create what I want to see and create. Mm. So, in that aspect, I agree that technology is absolutely invaluable. I would not have like the current skill levels that I have Mm -hmm. if I didn't have access to that kind of practice. Um, But I think the relationship to time is a really, really strong drawback for me because uh, you begin to experience your life so much more quickly Mm -hmm. with so many more things jammed in Mm -hmm. that time begins to... Feel as though it's severely lacking. Uh, you're you're filling so much space, um, and you're learning. You've created a pattern for yourself of both intaking and exporting things at that speed, but it's not happening in a way that makes you feel as though it's um, productive. Isn't even the right word. That's a word that. I would use within the framework of. I <laughs> a culture where everything needs to be done quickly, but um, there's just no space to sit still at all, and so you get weary faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have you don't have time to create uh, anymore because you're just you're intaking all these good ideas for later. Uh, Four million TikToks go by really fast.
1: You'd be surprised. I, just <laughs> I don't I don't even have TikTok and I'm listening to people talk about it and I'm, I'm watching them, even watching, I've watched them look at it and I'm like, hey, did you see any of that? Like, enough to see it. And like, oh, yeah. What, what did you What did you see? Like, well, I saw a bunch of videos of people doing stuff. Like, okay. And what's fascinating is when I'll ask them, they'll be like, there's a bunch of videos about dogs. I'm like, what about dogs? Well, it's just a bunch of dogs. Like, so you watched a bunch you know you could like sit on the corner in Chicago and a whole bunch of people would walk dogs by you (laughs) you could see a bunch of dogs you'd probably see more than the dogs if you slowed down so
2: I think it's just so interesting how say like as a child I did so little compared to myself now as a young adult and yet I know things so much less I, the other morning, it's spring, finally. Hmm. I think it's snowing now, but it's spring. Oh, good. That's <laughs> nice. Thank you. And um, I heard birds singing. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded there's, uh, there's birds that live in the forest around where I live. Mm-hmm. And they make a really specific sound when they're um, warding off like a hawk or mm-hmm. an eagle or mm-hmm. something that's nearby. And if you imitate them it will draw a whole flock of these little tiny birds, and they're ready to, like, beat the <coughs> neighborhood bully. They're like, you don't mess with our kids. Like, this is it. We'll, we'll Have attack. you been attacked
1: by bird savannah? Let's be clear here. <laughs>
2: oh, absolutely not. Okay, but, okay good, good, good. <laughs> but I've seen flocks of them ready to try. And, sure. And it was just so interesting, because I realized that I had this really specific knowledge of, of that place from this time in my life where I did relatively mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing... That would that people would consider useful or um, even lasting. You know the art you make when you're a kid. It's mm-hmm. like, you throw it out after it's been on the fridge for a couple. of I weeks don't know if
1: it. I've ever thrown. My wife has never thrown anything away that my kids made. <laughs> I probably throw still away sitting the in a bin I somewhere made. in my garage. <laughs> There's four billion bins of art stuff oh, in my garage. <clears throat> yeah. But. Love you, honey. <laughs> 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 Gotta save the bins. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay.
2: But. Now, although by my own standards and by the culture standards, like I know many more things, I accomplish many more things, um, I have almost no real knowledge of the world around me in the same way that I did uh, as a child, where everything was learned through experience mm-hmm. and time mm-hmm. in the world. Um, that's using like the outdoors as an example, but I think that applies to like lots of other spaces. Sure. Um, and I don't know. It it made me sad to realize, and at the same time, that memory from you know when I was 11 or 12 mm-hmm. has lasted for over a decade, and sure. and so I think there's something really beautiful to be said for learning how to slow down again, mm-hmm. if that's even possible at this point in our
1: I think it is, <clears throat> but what I think is I think is challenging there, and this is what. Um, where I think that most people are, are, we'll say they're unwittingly, and I mean that in the way that it's worded, they're not aware uh, unknowingly, but uh, unwittingly, Uh, like they may know it, but they don't really know it influenced by technology is in the expectations it's created. And so you're talking about what productivity means and it's created expectations and so when those expectations aren't met in the way that the bulk of us have come to accept as these are standards for what you should hey eight hour workday, come on when in reality the the standard expectation to be clear is that over and over again in research it keeps coming back to you have about three hours of creative work a day that you can do about three that's it you're done so Great. Check your email for the other five foot. Realistically, here are about three hours of good work in you a day. That doesn't mean that you should just do three hours of work, but it does mean, hey, you're probably not going to do any, a ton of creative output. And so there are other things that have to be cleaned up and ordered and structured. And I would say, like, you could do a six-hour day, three hours of creativity and three hours of – so three hours of creativity make chaos and then three hours of putting everything back in order – Hey, good six hour day. Sounds like a great thing to me. Let's get going with that. And I'm good with like an hour lunch. So let's, let's, yeah, we can call that it. But the point is, if you think it's eight to 10 hours a day and eight to 10 hours a day of answer emails and do this stuff and write this stuff and be creative and be creative for 12 or 14 hours at a time, you, and, and here's the key the technology not only tells you that that's possible, but our media outlets tend to, glorify the person who can and so we look at people like and and I think he's brilliant you look at people like Elon Musk and you're thinking that dude works 120 hours a week and you're like see if you're a genius you should but my concern in moments like that is that we've created expectations that are unrealistic of what humans should be doing and so when we don't meet them we feel a sense of loss or disappointment or or, and, and this is the worst part anxiety and failure that a lot of people are wrestling with and they're not sure where that came from. And my argument, some people have said, well, social media is making it... No, nah, it's not social media. Social media is too easy to blame. It's actually the entire internet itself. It's the entire technological structures and systems around the internet as well, and all of the media components that go along with it that have created the set of expectations that Savannah has to not spend time just looking at the birds because you're wasting it. What does that mean? Well, who decided we were wasting or not wasting? What does it mean to say that three hours of productive work? Well, that's what all we've got. Right. But, well, you've got to work at least 12. Why? Who said that? And, and the challenge that I often bring for people as Christians is um, there is a, a sense of like, well, you live in the world, but you're not of the world. And my response is that means you don't have to play by their rules. The rules that they set, the expectations they created, the structures that they say you gotta participate in, they're not yours, they're the world's. So if you're in it but not of it, you can play by a different set of rules. Why? Because the kingdom did. Because Jesus does when he shows up, he plays by a completely different set of rules. There's moments you're like, you can't talk to that person, I'm gonna talk to him. You can't do that, I'm gonna do that. Like, all the rules and the expectations were things the world set, And largely, to be clear, they are the outcomes of the world's processes and outworkings that are built into the expectations and the design of the technology that we're talking about. They don't play toward our faith. They can be used because there's technology all the time. Jesus using technology too. We've already talked about that in a previous episode. But I don't have to play by their expectations. I don't have to play by their rules. So. Oftentimes, the rebellion, to me, is twofold. It's a refusal to play by the rules, which means I slow down. And it's a refusal to go along with what you want me to do and create, which is what art should be. So, what is Pettit advocating for? I'm advocating for a lot more napping. Slow down. (laughs) and a lot more creative expression like art. Good, go for it. That's the rebellion.
2: That sounds great to me.
1: Rest and art. You do those two things, you look a whole lot more like Jesus.
2: It's a pretty great commission.
1: So uh, if you're like, OK, so Pettit's going to host a napping and art <laughs> creation. Yes, OK, that's what we're going to host next. But but I think the point is that it is like a Lull's talking about to live in that tension. I'm not going to throw the technology away I don't want to throw my iPad out because I do get some good ideas out of it but it's to immediately let it go the moment it doesn't help me get to rest the moment it doesn't help me get to creativity and expressions that are more consistent with the way that God made me than fall in line follow the orders work the 12 hours get the job done check all the boxes do all the things I don't see in any way shape or form that Jesus played in any way like that
2: not at all that kind of Dissimulation is a word that I heard used mm-hmm. for that or so, uh, is so necessary if we're going to actually practice living uh, within the narrative that we see in scripture. I don't see a way around it uh, if we're going to act like it's in any way meaningful um, for not just historical reasons, but like our very own lives. Um, and experiences as embodied people um, that have souls which are, like, damaged or Mm -hmm. healed by the ways that we engage with the world. We have to take that seriously and, and dissimulate from the practices that are just built in.
1: All right, so other than napping... Uh, what ways are you wrestling with this tension personally, and you're trying to develop habits toward personally yourself, just practically speaking? Yeah. Uh, that our audience might be like, "Oh, yeah, I never thought of that or tried that." I, and I get it. Yes, you heard Pettit say you can take a nap. I'm totally in. Let's go. Uh, if you if you ask me, I'm ready to go full Spain on this. Like, let's just go all in. Siesta, <laughs> two hour nap every day. But I'm also the dude who'd be up till midnight eating dinner. So you kind of gotta temper what you're saying here, because I totally fine be in the late up tonight.
2: night yeah. i think two two separate practices that i use just in my daily life one is deleting tiktok when i need to delete tiktok <laughs> um
1: yeah, this wasn't a tiktok rant i wasn't trying to get you all to put no, to kind no. of turning into that a little
2: bit <laughs> no i i love tiktok um there's so many things on it that do inspire me to create and I, i'm really appreciative of that or like genuinely just things that bring me joy Mm -hmm. uh, when I am in a hurry and that cause me to like slow down and laugh and I appreciate those things Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not so much like oh TikTok has an app rather it's when I notice that uh, my consumption of time has changed from uh, using it consciously to a subconscious desire to make time go quickly or to get some rest and then to just go through as many videos Mm -hmm. as I can to make use of the time. Uh, When I notice those patterns in myself, I start to recognize that I'm actually losing time
0: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, and that the way in which I've ordered my uh, desire to like dull emotions or Mm -hmm. procrastinate actually creating something that is meaningful to me uh, has swung out of whack. And mm-hmm. so it needs to be brought back into order somehow. So I just periodically delete it for mm. large spaces of sure. time. If I have lots of other things to get done, I'll get rid of it. If I have too little to do and I'm spending all of my time on it instead of on pre- like projects that I really am excited about uh, and crave time to spend on, then I'll delete it. And then when I feel like, okay, I'm, I'd really enjoy like looking at it right now. Um, then I'll, I'll get it back. So that's one practice.
1: All right. Wait. So and, and so and that and that can be applied to a bunch of different apps, not just TikTok. And and one of the ways that I've encouraged people when they've asked me about this is, are you? Um, because when the app or something like that is on a device, we tend to wind up feeling drawn to it. So when I feel the pull of that, if I can just take a split second breath and ask, okay. I'm being drawn to this. Is that what I should be drawn to in this moment? Because I need to laugh and I need something funny, and I'm just winding out and having fun. Or I'm noticing that I'm being drawn to it more than because really what we're trying to get at here is not about the app and it's not about the content and it's not about it's about the desire. What's going on in my desires? And are those desires? You know what? I want to laugh at something and I want to have. Okay, great. God made you to laugh for sure. And we could use probably a whole lot more laughter in this world right now. Where are my desires at? And if it's being drawn to something and I can go, yeah, this isn't the kind of desire I should probably be uh, fulfilling. I should probably think through taking a break. And, and even thinking one of the ways that I've been encouraging people to do that is to think of all of the apps that you have are temporary. Always. And you say, well, but I put it on my phone. It's been on there for a year. Yeah. And then you're going to trade that phone in and it's going to go away. All your apps are temporary always. So if you think of them as, you can put it on and take it off and put it on and take it off as much as you want. I've told people before, I download the Chipotle app every weekend, buy (laughs) Chipotle, get the points, and delete it every weekend. And they're like, why would you do that? I'm like, because Chipotle probably updates it once every week or two. So realistically, it's just going to reinstall. It's the same thing. Why would I want to keep it on my... They're all temporary. Let them go, like you're saying, when it's not drawing you to places that are helpful, even in just that season of your life. So number two.
2: Number two um, is... As I don't know, maybe like classic or overused as it may seem, um, journaling by hand mm-hmm. rather than digitally. Mm-hmm. I know technically that uh, <clears throat> writing on an iPad with your pencil um, is supposed to like help you remember things just as well. Cause you're Actually, still, it doesn't. <laughs> you're still writing technically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the process is very different. Uh, the level of distraction is very different. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, writing in something that is physical um, and then I, can, I can flip through pages and mm-hmm. see the past year or two mm-hmm. of my life yeah. um, in a place is so important to me and I don't get to do it very often. Mm-hmm. So once or twice a week, I'll try and just like capture a couple things. Um, and the process of slowing down mm-hmm. to write by hand or to sketch by hand mm-hmm. um even to like do like my schedule in like a little corner or like a list <laughs> of things to do although it's exactly the same work as i might you know type out like, or organizational apps mm-hmm. the the mental and emotional breath that it gives mm. to slow down and write it by hand and then to like sketch them all off as i like complete them (laughs) is so helpful uh and i think i underestimated it for a long time Mm. um but it's become something that's really really precious to me and that i wouldn't i wouldn't give up like Mm. my say like my little organizational apps they're great but i don't feel like a desire to use them if i'm not busy whereas to like write and create in my physical journal Mm -hmm. is something that is like so beautiful to me and that I want to return to Mm. um, even in times when I am resting. And I think that's like been a really important distinction that like I've developed over time Mm. um, and that I want to continue making.
1: Yeah. And the research is backing you up because the research essentially says that, that drawing on tablets, iPads or devices that And this is, uh, there's a whole metaphorical path you can draw down here, and I'm not going to take the time to do it today, but we'll maybe another day. Uh, that to actually imprint it on your brain, your, your mind, when you're writing, needs resistance. Which is why when you're using an iPad and a pencil, there's no resistance. It's all slippery. It just slides across, and you're like, well, but that makes it easier. Right, but the resistance is actually what's imprinting it. So even things like gel pens aren't necessarily as good for your memory as like a pencil or a ballpoint pen where you can feel the drag on the paper. It actually is making imprints in your mind to remember things. When it goes too fast, when it slides too fast, which, by the way, is a perfect metaphor for technology, you lose it. When you actually have the draw, the pull, the resistance, that's when you're going to take the time and remember it, which means you'd have to slow down. So thank you so much for coming and hanging out today.
2: It's been really fun. It's a great conversation.
1: Me. I really do appreciate it. And if you uh, have questions for me about this topic or any other one, uh, you can email me at profpedit at gmail.com. And we will look forward to seeing other stuff that Savannah is going to do around campus. But uh, just thank you so much for coming by today. Of course. Have a great one.